VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, I'm talking college hoops and a little bit of G League showcase with our good friend, my partner, the other half of Mojo, John Fanta. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. One of my favorite industry people and a good friend is back on the pod, and I'm so excited. John Fanta of, gosh, John, what are all your jobs now? You're not just FS1 and Big East Digital. You're adding to your repertoire, no? Yes, Monica. Very excited to be heading out to Las Vegas this week for the NBA G League Showcase, which will be on NBA TV and then the ESPN family and networks. Really exciting event that's coming up Thursday to Sunday that brings the entire league together, all 28 teams, and the top four teams, and in this case, it's Memphis, the Memphis Hustle, Wisconsin, Salt Lake City Stars, as well as the Grand Rapids Drive. Those top four teams will be playing for $100,000, so really fun event this week in the NBA G League, their winter showcase out at Mandalay Bay Convention Center. And so adding on to that with all the college hoops talk that we got, happy holidays, my friend. Great to be on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I have definitely put us being reunited on a game on my Christmas wish, and I hope that Santa (laughs) comes through. But I am, for one, absolutely thrilled for you upcoming this week in Vegas. We are recording this pod on a Tuesday, and so you'll be in Vegas (laughs) Wednesday through Saturday, yes? Yes, we're in that zone right now where you can relate, friend. You wake up in the middle of the night in your hotel room and you say, okay, what game? What game's going on? Where am I? What day is it? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know I can relate. We probably all need to be in some sort of therapy support groups. No. We, we wouldn't have it any other way. And that's Pure Hoops Media. It's hoops all the time. Absolutely. I love it. All right, so Fanta, let's get into it. Yeah. One of the big storylines It's sort of a national storyline because Seton Hall has been ranked. And then, of course, obviously, it's a big deal in the Big East. Miles Powell, out indefinitely, dealing with concussion protocol. Talk to me about what the Pirates have going on moving forward. This is a huge blow for Seton Hall, a season that was filled with potential of them potentially going to their first Final Four since 1989. That was the type of expectation level in South Orange. And now the Pirates aren't only without Miles Powell, who was the Big East second-leading scorer, but now they're also without Sandra Mamukelashvili, the junior forward who really is a dynamic player and was going to be their second guy. They're without him for the next seven weeks. Powell is a week-to-week thing. That's what the program announced. The hope is that he can be back by December 30th when Seton Hall opens up Big East play at DePaul. You've seen this Blue Demons team, Monica, and no longer is DePaul a game where you can walk in and say, okay, well, maybe we don't need our best player to win this game. No, DePaul looks like an NCAA tournament team and had one of the best net rankings out of the Big East earlier this week, only one loss for the Blue Demons. So for Miles Powell, he took a couple blows to the head against Rutgers on Saturday. It was contact made with his teammates. He took a charge that sent him to the floor. 
And it's very unfortunate news because he's having an All-American season. And now a Seton Hall team that has four losses on the season is in danger territory because they face number seven Maryland on Thursday without their best two players. And that could be a loss. Now you've got five losses and you're going to be forced to make hay in the Big East, which is so deep. If you look at all projections, six, maybe seven NCAA tournament teams. So for the Pirates, I still think they can be okay. But the idea that they could be a top-tier seed in the NCAA tournament, that is gone. Now, what do we know? The NCAA Tournament Selection Committee puts a lot of stock in injuries. They do consider different waves of a season, and they understand things happen. Miles Powell being out for Maryland on Thursday totally changes the complexion of that result because he is the best player on the floor in that game. And for Seton Hall to be missing their best two players, it's going to impact the game, and the Terps should handle business in Newark on Thursday night. I will say, and we're, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, we're here to celebrate teams we love more than bash teams that we don't love. While it is a feat for Seton Hall, I wouldn't be 100% shocked if they managed to pull it off. Something for me with the Terps, and I think they were exposed a little bit by Penn State, although I will agree with the argument of some of the Old heads will call that, and I mean the I mean that term with respect. The OGs like Fran Fischella and those guys out there who have been commenting on the overall talent or depth of talent yes. um, in this year's NCAA class. Um, I just something about Maryland, like something about Maryland. I think they will obviously have the size advantage in this particular game. I love the kid Jalen Smith, um, but I've, I've just I've even when Maryland was super high ranked, I wasn't completely there with them. But let's move on. We'll stick the, to the biggies. Two things you mentioned: DePaul. I did see DePaul in person. In person, Fanta, I was disappointed. I obviously called the game in which they lost mm-hmm. to Buffalo on FS1. I think for me, it was the thinking that was missing for DePaul to really take this leap and maintain it. Mm. And what you mentioned is going to be a deep Big East conference this year. There was no way in my mind that they should not have been getting the ball inside and exploiting their size versus the quickness of Buffalo. Now, Buffalo came in 100% prepared, but I was kind of waiting on Coach Lado to like, Come on, give me some X's and O's. And I don't know if there was just a disconnect from coach to player because we obviously had to pull our mics from the huddle a couple of times because Coach Lado mm. was fired up. Um, but I just I wanted to see DePaul thinking the game on a quicker level, synapses popping a little bit better than I saw against Buffalo because, I mean, Buffalo is faster, I think, than most Big East teams, but it's a healthy Seton Hall team, a healthy Villanova team will get up and down the floor in the same way. Absolutely. For DePaul, it says Charlie Moore and Paul Rico, they will go. And Moore in that game against Buffalo had eight turnovers. He's but struggled. he is a Kansas transfer. And if people are wondering nationally, why is DePaul back or why might they be back? It's because you bring in Kansas caliber talent. Bill Self brought in Moore. And before Kansas, it was California. DePaul hasn't gotten those types of players. And Charlie Moore gives them a game changer, a point guard who can manage the game and plays every almost every minute for them, Monica. He barely came out of that Buffalo game, barely came out of the statement win over Texas Tech. And then for Paul Reed, he's an NBA player. If you haven't seen Paul Reed play for DePaul, this kid is must-see TV. He's a junior, six foot nine, but plays like he's seven feet tall. He's got really good range, had 18 and 15 in that game against Buffalo. This kid is high-level talent. But mentality, that matters on the marathon. Monica, you played. You know, when you don't know how to win consistently yet, you can take nothing for granted. 
And I think DePaul came off that win over Texas Tech. They're all over the papers in Chicago. They're getting high publicity. And sometimes you get caught in all that, and it doesn't matter who you're playing. And on this day, it was a Buffalo team out of the Mid-American, a program that's done well in the Mid-American, that came ready to play from the jump. And DePaul, it was too little, too late. So the Blue Demons, they haven't learned how to win quite yet. They've got the on-paper talent, and they've been able to notch some really solid wins that could lead you to believe, okay, this could be an NCAA tournament team. But in a league as deep as the Big East, you cannot come off a win and say, oh, man, we've got it. No, there's no days off. And if anybody should know it, it's them. But they've got to learn how to win. And you know it, Monica, as a former player. You might win a ball game. That doesn't mean you necessarily did it the right way. I think DePaul still has to find that. Yeah, 100%. I will say, though, and I I agree with you, Paul Reed, tremendous upside, could be a pro. Um, I think. We got to see his ability to defend on the perimeter, which I think he can do. In many ways, he reminds me of the kid that um, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia last year. But I will say, I think the key, the X factors rather, to that team are going to be the two Jalen's. Jalen Coleman lands the kid who can shoot. His stroke is pure. It is beautiful. And then Jalen Butts, um, who's a guy that, you know, Mm -hmm. And the strength and conditioning coach shared with me, like, is sort of the unsung hero because of the dirty work that he does on the inside. I wanted to see him get the ball more and take advantage of the mismatch and the size in that particular game, but that's neither here nor there. They did get back to their winning ways with the victory since that game against Buffalo. But continuing on through the Big East, did you hear this, John? And I don't know if you heard it, Bruce. I know you're listening. You're like the voice of God today. Um, after the Syracuse loss to Georgetown, uh, one Jim Bayheim apparently had some fiery comments about um, James Akinjo, who has moved on from the program. And basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, basically said they got rid of a kid that would not pass the ball, and now they're better. The kid lost two games on his own. Referring to Akinjo. Did you hear that, Bob? I heard it loud and clear. It's tough to miss Jim Beheim when he speaks. He's a legend. Um, Bruce, you are a Syracuse guy. What say you about that? <laughs> I don't think it's cool to talk about other teams' players like that. That's what I say. Right. I think and, and, that is a suit, but continue, John. Well, I'm with Bruce on this, but he is a former player, and Jim Beheim has been one to make bold comments in the past. And while he shouldn't have said it that way because we're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds, the writing's on the wall a little bit here, Monica. There were a lot of disagreements on that Georgetown roster last season. They got covered up by Jesse Govin, who was a senior, and he wouldn't let the roster get brought down by those types of egos. But Georgetown is evidence right now that if you've got dysfunction in place, that will always trump pure talent. James Akinjo is a very talented point guard and is going to head somewhere. Patrick Ewing wishes him all the best, and that's the vibe that I get from him. But James Akinjo wanted this to be his team, and that is not the Thompson way. That's not the way that Georgetown operates as a program, nor should it be. James Akinjo wanted the driver's seat, and while it was his team to lead, that doesn't mean that you get to call out what you want to do it your way. And look, He looped Josh LeBlanc into this, and I do not think that Josh LeBlanc left the program because of his legal issues. 
That's for an entirely different conversation. He left the program because he and James Akinjo didn't like the direction. They didn't like the fact that they weren't allowed to have their say and do things their way. Well, you know what? Patrick Ewing, he wasn't going to tolerate that, and things have paid off for him because it's been addition by subtraction for Georgetown. The question is, can they sustain it with just seven or eight deep? I don't know about that, but they're playing their best basketball in the Patrick Ewing era because they are all on the same page with one another. They're not bringing the ball up the floor thinking, who's it going to be? Who's, who's going to uh, – or, or am I getting my touches, rather? You know, am I getting mine? They're not bringing the ball up the floor thinking that. They're thinking, hey, we got to get the ball popping, and it is. Mac McClung's taking the next step as a sophomore. Omir Yurt 7, the NC State transfer, is doing what we thought he could. Jagan Mosley, a senior, talking with him earlier this week, he said – you know what? I want to get as many wins as possible and try to make an NCAA tournament before my career ends. Monica, that matters when you've got a senior who's willing to do whatever it takes to get to the dance floor. So for Georgetown, for the first time, mentally, they're on the same page, and it's paying off on the basketball court, and it is further evidence that if you've got problems in your locker room with 18- to 22-year-olds, you're not overcoming those at the end of the day, no matter how talented you might be. I could not agree with you more. I think chemistry is the factor that should never be overlooked on a roster, whether that be amongst whether that be amongst players or even relationships from player to coach. But I want to get into the two biggest representatives in the top twenty-five poll on the men's side. John, I haven't I have not had an opportunity to see Butler. At, I think I watched a half of one of their games, and then I have mm-hmm. not seen Villanova yet either this season. So talk to me about Butler. Let's go there first. They are. Mm, they've taken an L, right? They're no longer undefeated, are they? Yeah, they took an L at Baylor, uh, and Baylor is really, really strong. I mean, just briefly on the Big 12, they lead in the net average uh, in college basketball. The net rankings came out earlier this week, and that's because the Big 12 has two of the top five teams in the net, Kansas and Baylor. Now, also in that top five is Butler, Monica. So what does that say? The Dogs just lost by one to Baylor, but they have beaten Florida, they have beaten Minnesota, they've beaten Stanford, Missouri. We're talking power conference wins. They've cleaned up, and they have Purdue on Saturday. Right now, Kamar Baldwin, the senior guard, is a man on a mission. He's been so impressive. And defensively, they're only allowing about 55 points per game. That's absurd, considering the competition. I would agree that... um... They got something happening, and I know how much you love Hinkle Fieldhouse. So there's something good happening in Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yes, Hinkle Magic's a real thing. Now, I, I want to know, because you brought this up to me a couple times, do you love Hinkle Fieldhouse too? I do not love Hinkle as much as you do, John. I will admit that. But <laughs> Hinkle is definitely charming. <laughs> You're more of a McDonough gym girl. <laughs> You're more of a McDonough gym girl. I, you know, I'm spoiled. I mean, it's it's tough for me to to find alliances other than my own. All right, so we got Butler. Talk to me about Jay Wright and Villanova. I know we were super, super high on his freshman. Yes. Jeremiah Robinson are all averaging about double-digit rebounds per game, and Justin Moore has really come on. Six-foot-four guard. I think that NBA scouts are really going to like what they see from both these kids, but Moore, he's averaging 16 points per game in the last couple of weeks, last two weeks. Big East freshman of the week in back-to-back weeks. Robinson Earl's racked up that honor a couple times as well. 
for Villanova, the question is not offense. They're averaging over 80 points per game, Monica. But defensively, they have not been connected. And that is a big concern heading into Saturday's contest with number one Kansas. Now, Villanova right now, they check in at number 18 in the AP Top 25. They're a good team. They have not showed us they can be a great team yet. And part of that's youth, but also part of that is Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, the two juniors, they haven't necessarily Mm -hmm. taken that leadership role on the defensive end of the floor that we saw from Phil Booth and Eric Paschal throughout last year. And for Villanova, they don't have an impact senior. So they don't have someone that can bring them together on that end. They're really struggling defensively at times. And Kansas awaits on Saturday. And the Jayhawks have what it takes to win a national championship with Devon Dotson in the backcourt and Yudoka as a bookie down low. The newly appointed number one Kansas Jayhawks. That game actually is going to be on Fox, I believe. I'm not, I'm not going to state this, but I worked with Lisa Byington on the DePaul-UConn call. Yes. I don't think she's in Providence on Saturday. No, so she won't be at that game. But yes, that is a big game on Fox. We'll definitely all be tuning in. Okay, so I guess the other thing happening on the men's side, what's going on with St. John's? I know they have to go out west. They've got a game coming up out west, courtesy of a Chris Mullen formerly scheduled event. Yes, this is an event that was scheduled with the previous staff. St. John's will take on Arizona Saturday night. It's on ESPN2 around 10.30 Eastern time at the brand-new Chase Center, the Golden State Warriors' new home. And you've got Nico Mannion for Arizona Wildcats. They look the part of a good seed in the NCAA tournament and have put together a really nice season to date. This is a tall task for St. John's. That said, St. John's checking in in the top 70 of the net report. And the team with a feather in your cap win, Monica. We talk about the college basketball dirty, and you've got to get a resume win at some point in the first five weeks of the season. St. John's got that at Madison Square Garden. They knocked off West Virginia and handed mm-hmm. the Mountaineers their first loss, a Mountaineers team that is in the top 25. So now for St. John's, we know 40 minutes to hell. Under Mike Anderson, what he learned under Nolan Richardson at one point mm-hmm. uh, back in the Arkansas days. Now can that translate here against Arizona? I just think with the way Nico Mannion runs the show and Arizona in the paint, it could be a, a tough night for St. John's. But the biggest revelation from the Red Storm is that Mike Anderson is getting certain things out of players that the previous coaching staff just could not. Sophomore Josh Roberts has taken the next step. He's gone from averaging just about a point a game to eight rebounds or eight points and six rebounds a game. He's a sophomore who has really taken a forward leap for St. John's. And I think that the Red Storm are a sleeper to potentially finish sixth in the Big East after getting picked ninth. Mm, that's good stuff. I personally think Mike Anderson is great. It was funny. We had great. him on the MSG 150 the night after Bobby Portis went off and gave the Knicks a win, and it was really cool to see his relationship with Bobby still at play, even from their time in Arkansas together. Um, I definitely like what Mike Anderson brings. I'm a huge fan of his wife, who has been at various Big East events, and she is just fantastic. So any man with a fantastic wife must be okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Marshita is just a gem, and they're all family. I mean, that that Mike Anderson style is family, and that's what he brings to St. John's. The Big East is a fascinating league this year. It's deep. The league may not have a number one or number two seed, which is going to be interesting 
because you might fall into that, oh, 6-11 territory, 7-10 territory, 8-9 game. I'm fascinated to see how the selection committee sees the entire field of 68 because you think about the major stories right now. Cole Anthony out for North Carolina. For the Tar Heels, they've already they've lost three in a row. Their NCAA mm-hmm. tournament hopes have taken a big hit. What happens if they're only a couple games over 500 but look a lot better when Cole Anthony's on the floor? It's really curious. Uh, Michigan had the best start to the season out of any team from what we saw and was amazing early on. But now they've all of a sudden fallen into a funk and kind of come back down to earth. How does everything play out? It's a fascinating year in college basketball because there's not one great team. Just when you thought Louisville was going to be that team, they fall to a Texas Tech team that had lost three in a row and didn't have their best player. And then you think about Ohio State, Monica. All last week on Twitter, people were saying, Ohio State should be number one. Well, guess what? They lost at Minnesota. So right now in the sport, we've got some key injuries. We've got a couple of teams we're not sure if they are truly top five worthy. Uh, That's why, will Kansas give us some sanity this Saturday at Wells Fargo Center? I don't know, (laughs) because if there's a team that could knock them off, really tough to be number one, and your first game comes against Villanova, your first real test, rather. So here's the deal, and I know that you've kept an eye, obviously a very close eye on the Big East, but we haven't gotten to conference plays, so you've had a chance to see various teams in the non-con schedule play against Big East teams. Mm-hmm. I, you sound like you subscribe to this idea of there not being one great team. I I have hesitation. I think it's a little bit early, and we may be spoiled um, by traditionally Duke, the Blue Bloods, Kansas, Kentucky, whoever. But it's okay, I think, that that great team may not emerge until January, if not February. I just – I don't want us to – I don't know if we're all coming off of a Zion hangover – but I like I don't want us to push the panic button and throw away college basketball this season, so to speak, because I think that just because it takes teams a little bit longer to click doesn't mean that we won't still be winning on for March. Oh, I think it adds to the thrill. It absolutely adds to the thrill of the sport. Now, we don't have a Zion Williamson in the sport this year. But if you're a college basketball junkie, the first two months of the season have gone about as fun as you could have thought, and then some. We have been treated to so many high-level games, and this sport thrives with upsets. Now, there's two schools of thought there. We've seen Stephen F. Austin knock off Duke. We've seen Evansville knock off Kentucky. That doesn't mean that you necessarily want the upsets to happen late in the NCAA tournament. At the end of the day, when we get to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, you want your best. And we've seen that. We saw it last year, and we've seen it in the years before that. I mean, it was something last year that Duke didn't make the Final Four. But you know what? We saw that depth matters, and experience does too in this sport. And I think that the, the cream of the crop will rise once again. There may not be one great team. I don't think there is one, Monica. I, I will maintain that take. Uh, I think that if there is a candidate, it actually is this Kansas Jayhawks team because they are firing on all cylinders from what I've seen of them live. And I also think there's a team out West that we're not talking enough about that has continually impressed me. I actually am going to go with Oregon. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yes. To go to Ann Arbor and win 71-70 over Michigan, all I could say is, wow. Uh, they trailed Seton Hall by 19 on a night that Miles Powell was having an out-of-body performance. They came back and won that game. 
And you talk about Gonzaga, who I really do like, but I worry about the Zags because they face a WCC schedule they can't control. But the fact is the West Coast Conference just doesn't have the same types of tests that you're going to see in the Power 5, Power 6 leagues. You're just not going to see that. So I like Oregon. Uh, They showed me a lot this past weekend in winning in Ann Arbor. Peyton Pritchard is a seasoned vet who just knows how to fill it up. Not only is he averaging 19 points per game, but he's got six dishes a contest. That's all-American material. Anthony Mathis is a high-level shooter. Shakir Wieston is doing it as well for them and gives them a defensive presence. This Oregon Ducks team, do not be surprised if you see them in the Elite Eight with a chance to make the Final Four. Hmm. Well, we're, we certainly know that on the women's side, everyone anticipates Kelly Graves and Sabrina Ionescu being there. But we'll see. I think, you know, I'd have to dig into Oregon a little bit more. I, I'm a big Mark Few fan. Roy Hachimura, shout out to the Wizards for drafting him. Brandon Clark, I thought, was terrific last year in the dance. And here will be my thing. And, Bruce, I want you to jump in on this one, too. Was anybody calling, without doubt, Virginia, a great team last year that would win the national title. I think Virginia was very good last year, and people respect Tony Bennett and acknowledge the talent that he has. But I just don't – like, I think this argument about one great team is overblown. Duke got bounced in the Elite Eight, right? Like, and Virginia, in many ways, I don't want to say snuck up because people knew who they were. But, no, I don't think people were predicting Virginia to win it all last year. No. Right, Bruce? No. Not not that I remember, and it seems that this year they're definitely having their problems this year, oh, although God. they did beat my beloved Orangeman 48-34 or something like that. I mean, some ridiculous low-scoring <laughs> game early on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what is the deal with Virginia? It seems like they're kind of having that, like, post-championship hangover or something. Well, when you lose Kyle Guy and you lose the caliber of talent beyond him, and you're asking Diakite to really carry the scoring load, more of a post-presence, it's tough. And for Virginia, as is, they have trouble scoring. They had trouble scoring last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy still filled it up enough. Look, here's the thing about Virginia that people seem to forget, and I've talked with Villanova head coach Jay Wright about this too. Tony Bennett admitted it as well. In the NCAA tournament, sure the best team ends up winning. That doesn't mean that the best team doesn't catch some breaks along the way. Virginia was about to lose to Auburn in mm-hmm. the final four. And Kyle Guy takes a three, and they call a foul, leading him to the free throw line. And that ends up winning it, if you remember. I do a remember. Big, a big call ended up deciding that game. So that, that, to me, just it says it all, is that sometimes you have to catch some breaks along the way, and things have to go your way. Um, there, there's so many cases of that in the NCAA tournament. But for Virginia, I do think there's a bit of a hangover, but I also think it's just their personnel doesn't lend itself to their style all the way on the defensive end of the floor, and that's why they're having trouble. Now, one big thing, speaking of Virginia, it makes me think of the ACC, Monica, which you do great stuff over at the ACC Network, and the talk today is Cole Anthony. For North Carolina – In the opening part of their ACC schedule, I thought this was really interesting because Anthony's out now four to six weeks. They do not face Virginia, Duke, Louisville, or Florida State until February. That's a huge, huge note. They don't have to face the heavyweights in the league 
uh, until February when Anthony should be back. Mm, that's a big break. You talk about a team needing to get lucky. Exactly. It links right with the luck. Sometimes in the marathon, you got to catch a break. You know it. I mean, I know you had a smooth jumper at Georgetown, but once in a while, you caught a friendly roll. It's true. It's very true. I will own that. I thought it was always <laughs> nothing but net with you. It wasn't always and... nothing but net. Oh, Bruce. Bruce, you're my producer. I love you. <laughs> Bruce, the name, of the, the name of the show is Bucket Sports and Blocks. It's not nothing but net for a reason. <laughs> Ouch. You nailed it, Don. You nailed Ouch. it. I mean, Ouch, babe. Wait, hold on. She gets the rejection on one end. She comes down. They miss a three. She gets the board, puts it in off the window. Come on now. I love it. I love it. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> nailed it, Don. All right. So the bottom line here is there's lots for us to wait and see unfold. Yes. Um, I'm just, I'm excited just for us to get into Big East play, just conference play in general, whether it be Big East, ACC. I've got some Big 12 action on my slate this year. I'm mm. super excited. Um, but we love college basketball. Anything catching your eye right now, John, on the NBA front or anything you're looking forward to in particular when you get out to Vegas as we wrap this thing up? All right. Well, NBA side, how about Christmas? We get Clippers. We get Big Lakers. Games. Huge. It's part of a massive slate that day. But – I just think it's something that when LeBron James last year, people are wondering how much does this guy have left and what's going to be the story here? Look, he had not gone through the amount of rest that he had without playing in a postseason in years. We're, we're talking years. We're talking since the beginning of his career. He had a full mm-hmm. off season of refresh. He did a great piece last week with Dave McMenamin of ESPN about mental health and just that stuff matters more than ever right now. LeBron James had to get a mind reset. He did just that. The Lakers reload, and they bring in AD. And this Lakers team, I just think that that all around said, okay, we're out to win a Larry O'Brien trophy. And now you get the Clippers on Christmas night, 8 Eastern time. My popcorn is already being made right now because that is the showdown that we are all waiting for on Christmas night, part of a loaded slate. And then I think just the Milwaukee Bucks right now are doing something that isn't getting talked about enough nationally because they're in Milwaukee, and I love the city of Milwaukee, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is unbelievable. And the way that Milwaukee plays, I understand they just lost to the Mavs and their streak came to an end. And how about Chris Chess Porzingis, by the way, 26-12 and 12 in that game. He was spectacular. But the Bucks have winning players. That, that just, it matters so much. I think of Kyle Korver, who, who has always been a winner in the NBA. George Hill, winning type of player. And then uh, just you look down their roster. We're seeing different vets on that roster that have given Giannis help and have really increased, I, I think, just the level that that team can touch. Milwaukee is a force to be reckoned with. The L.A. battle's on my mind. And then this weekend in the G League, you've got players who are trying to take that next step and get to the association. Last year off this showcase, over 30 players ended up getting called up to the NBA at some point. It's a very important time of year. And what people don't know is the NBA this week, they're in Las Vegas for the G League showcase. This is like the NBA winter meetings. Mm -hmm. We're nearing that trade deadline where changes can happen. 
this is a really big time of year in the NBA. And this week in the G League Showcase, we've got players going for $100,000 prize and trying to make it to the association. That, that to me, when you're striving for that dream, you got a cash prize on the line, we got high-level games, get ready. It's going to be a fun weekend in Vegas. And right now in the NBA, I, I love the direction that this season is going in. Uh, buckle up. I know you're ready, too. Mm-hmm. I know. I know, uh, John, I was doing a little research about the, you know, uh, the G League showcase. And there's a few intriguing names that I think are going to be really enjoyable that are games you're going to be doing. Number one, Kyle Guy, who you mentioned a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. is playing for uh, Stockton. Uh, Terry Harris is playing for Delaware. Terry is the younger brother of Tobias Harris of the 76ers. Yeah. So uh, that's that could be, you know, and I know that his dad, Terrell, who did one of our podcasts a couple months ago, who is really, really proud of all the progress that he's made as a player. And uh, KV on Pippen. We've heard the name Pippen before. No, it's not Scotty's son. It is his right. nephew. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of basketball DNA he has. Absolutely. A couple others. Gary Payton the second. Uh, need, need I say more? Averaging 20 points per game right now in the G League. You've got a couple of uh, kids that lit it up for LSU last year. Tremont Waters, Naz Reed, who are both averaging around 20 points a game. Kelton Johnson's a name that's familiar. And then you've got players who might have been in the NBA at one time that have now gone to the G League and are trying to refine their game. Tyler Ulis, uh has been on assignment in the league. And we'll see this week what his status is. He, he's trying to figure things out. I mean, that, that's a guy that back in 2017 was an NBA Rookie of the Month. So you've got a different mix of guys either right out of college trying to take that next step or guys that once had it and had that contract that are trying to regain that type of momentum. Critical week, one that kind of flies under the radar, but for front offices, we're talking about big-time execs from organizations being out there taking a look, a hard look at these players and thinking, okay, could I use this guy on my bench when I make that two- or three-player trade and we're still in a playoff hunt? And you make that trade the day of a game, and we need somebody to step up and deliver and then maybe find the role. So it's a fun time of year in the NBA. And I think – I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I always kind of say that Christmas Day is like the second start of the NBA season. It's when we just see the light blink on and things intensify to another level. It is. That's when the casual fans – consider mm-hmm. the season to actually sort of begin. One quick thing, because I know Monica wants to jump in. I wanted to just back up to the Bucks for a second. Thursday night, the night that this show actually airs, the Bucks and the Lakers are going to be playing. So that should be, that could be a foreshadowing of the NBA finals. And also on one of our other shows, we do a thing called old school, new school. And we were doing one on Giannis today. And mm. I was, and it was like, well, what old school player could you compare him to? And I think we came to the conclusion you can't, but my theory was he's a combination of Kevin Garnett and Magic Johnson, which to me is like, that makes you defensive player of the year, unbelievable scorer, rebounder, passer, whatever. So that's, I said my piece, the freak is a combo of KG and Magic. I love that. He can't shoot like Magic. What's that? He can't. He can't shoot like magic. Mm-mm. No, it took magic a while to get that outside shot down. I but, agree. Right. No, I, right. I think this kid's got a chance. He's 25 years old, 
and his sense of drive. He just scored 48 on the Mavs and is making that look routine. And he doesn't have a great jumper, although it's getting there. I think he's just scratched the surface. Like, you could end up seeing him take over the league. Right now he's just competing with talent. If he hasn't already, I think he's a – He's, he's the right MVP. there. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's the MVP. I mean, I know people <laughs> debate, but he's the best player in the league right now, in my mind. Will it result in championships right now? Well, you got to look at the competition that they're going up against. There's some real heavyweights out west. We'll see. But, man, the Greek freak could go through an era. Like, when he's 28 to 31, 32, if LeBron retires and we see some other changes, where he could have that type of run where he wins two, three titles. Now the question is, can he do that in Milwaukee? Like, can he do that long-term with the Bucks, Or does, is he going to have to navigate his way and then build a super team? Because if he's on a super team with his size and also just his character, one thing we don't talk enough about with Giannis is he's so mature. You never see him around negative news. That matters to me. This kid's a champion down the road, if not soon enough. Ooh, only time will tell. And I know that you guys are super excited to watch. So am I. I'm sure so are our listeners. Fanta, we usually end this thing on buckets, boards, and blocks. But I just feel like you gave us so many buckets today that we're just going to end it here. Because it's just fantastic. And you're fantastic. (laughs) I hope that the call this week for NBA TV and the ESPN family of networks goes outstanding. That you continue to blow minds. And when you blow up, don't forget about me. Tell folks that you've got a partner that you love. Oh, come on, Monica McKnight. You've already blown up. I mean, you're, you're, you're a superstar. You're crushing it. And uh, you had a great UConn-DePaul game. That's the only thing that we'd be remiss on is we didn't talk women's hoops. I, I know that we'll get to that here down the road this season. But really fascinating year in women's basketball because I don't know about you, but there's several teams that can hoist that trophy. And speaking of which, there's teams that haven't become finished products yet, one of which is right in stores. UConn is not a finished product. They've got things to work on, and yet they're still one of the best in the nation. I'm, I'm fascinated for them, and I'm really intrigued by a couple of programs out west. Uh, it's, it's setting up to be a really fun year. Go ahead and drop those out west names real quick, John, because you know I love a good women's hoops conversation, but I was going to keep this one focused, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when you – Look out west in women's basketball. Stanford, what they've been able to do this season really stands out. Oregon as well. Uh, Jess Shelley, just a freshman, making a team record 10 three-pointers earlier this week. So we've got some teams that could emerge and could end up winning the national championship. Baylor's Baylor. Uh, but I just think when you look at the women's scene, the depth is there at the top. And I'm really intrigued to see how the Pac-12 plays out. Because right now, folks, the Pac-12 has three of the top four teams in the country. You've got Stanford, Oregon, and Oregon State. That league is just an absolute monster. So it's stacking up to be quite a year out west. Those are the three big names that you, you've got to know. And then don't forget about Don Staley and what she's doing at South Carolina off to a 10-1 start followed by a Louisville squad who's put up a nice resume thus far. Um, out West, Oregon, Oregon State, um, agree 100% there. Stanford, yes, the gold standard. But also don't forget UCLA, to who at this point 
December 17th, was still one of the few undefeateds in women's basketball. If there is a year for a team out in the West to win the national championship, it's one of those teams that you might not watch until because they're on at 10.30 Eastern time on the East Coast. But, man, this is a great year for the Pac-12 Conference to capitalize now. They just – it's such a deep league, and it would be magical, wouldn't it, for Tara Vandeveer to hoist the national championship trophy? It's cool to see the Cardinal on top of the nation right now. I'm not going to lie. My personal pick out west would be the redemption story for the Oregon Ducks and Sabrina Unescu, who I think is fantastic. But we're all going to have to wait and see. Fanta, thank you so much, my friend. Safe travels. Have a great game call. We'll catch up with you down the road on the pod. You know you're our favorite friend of the show. Thank you so much, Monica. Merry Christmas to you, Bruce, and the Pure Hoops media fam. And to Bucket Sports and Blocks listeners, you've got the best host that you could ask for for Hoops Talk. <laughs> Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in 2020. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to my fantastic friend and our guest today, John Fanta, for kicking it with us this week. Thanks also to my producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, and also our editor extraordinaire, Ben Wolfen. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. And those guys have been blessing us with bonus shows on Tuesdays as well. And the newly relaunched Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin comes your way every Wednesday. And of course... Thursdays, you know I'm here with a new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. So until next time, folks, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. I think we'll get one more in, though. But you know the drill. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 